I was trying to make my new reality and realizations and knowings fit into that box. And I'm super persistent and I don't give up. And I, I mean, I wrote a whole book. Really, when I read it now, trying to justify my knowing and legitimize it by making it fit into the box that I had been given. But what I was thinking about is that at the beginning of the book, I actually talk about the conversations I was having with women, you know, 10, 15 years ago. When I was into yoga, I was beginning to realize that there was a feminine divine. I was beginning to call her Sophia. And I would have conversations and women would dismiss the impact of patriarchal religion by saying, oh, it it doesn't bother me. Like, I don't mind if they call God he. It doesn't mean anything to me. I'm good with it. And they would just not realize the impact of not being included ever in the language of spirit that they had grown up in, even living in this culture. If you never set foot in a church, the money you pay for says, in God, we trust. That God they're talking about is a white man up in the sky in the big white robe. Welcome to the Revelation Project Podcast. I'm Monica Rogers, and this podcast is intended to disrupt the trance of unworthiness and to guide women to remember and reveal the truth of who we are. We say that life is a revelation project, and what gets revealed gets healed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Revelation Project podcast. Today, I'm with a dear friend and colleague and fellow feminine scholar who is an excavator of our sacred feminine lineage. Monette Chilson founded Woman Spirit Reclamation to support women in navigating their awakening from patriarchal indoctrination through online courses and community. She has written and spoken about the Divine Feminine for the past decade, authoring Sophia Rising, Awakening Your Sacred Wisdom Through Yoga, and My Name is Lilith, in addition to editing Original Resistance, Reclaiming Lilith, Reclaiming Ourselves, and Developing Its Companion Curriculum. Monette's work has been featured in national magazines, including Yoga Journal and Integral Yoga Magazine, and in the anthologies Yoga Wisdom and Whatever Works, Feminists of Faith Speak. Please join me in welcoming Monette. Hey, Monette. Hey, Monica. So great to have you today. And what a week it has been, my friend. We are all kind of sitting in the Grief, I think, is what I would say. The grief of just so much happening in the world. I agree. Yes. Just kind of processing that for a minute, because I just feel like it's in everybody's space at the moment. Mm-hmm. I do too. And, you know, at the moment, while we're sitting in it, just more and more is being revealed that makes it harder and harder to process. Yeah, harder and harder to process. Mm-hmm. It's like I 
actually, it's making me think that I want to read this quote, and I'll find it, but it's from Francis Weller. This book is called The Wild Edge of Sorrow, Rituals of Renewal and the Sacred Work of Grief by Francis Weller. Where there is sorrow, wrote Oscar Wilde, there is holy ground. This book is a meditation on the sacred ground of grief and the ways it enables us to walk in this world with its realities of loss and death, how it shakes and breaks us open to depths of soul we could not imagine. Grief offers a wild alchemy that transmutes suffering into fertile ground. We are made real and tangible by the experience of sorrow as it adds substance and weight to our world. Beyond the crazed hunger in our culture to be exceptional, loss and sorrow wear away whatever masks we attempt to present to the world. Like the massive stone carvings in the jungles of Central America that now lie broken on the forest floor, the monuments we erect to our own importance collapse. We are stripped of excess and revealed as human in our times of grief. Grief ripens us, pulls us up from the depths of our soul, what is most authentic in our beings. I feel like that's what's happening to, for sure, our whole country and really to the whole world right now. Everything that was sure and certain and seemed to be working on this one level is not. And it's like on the ground, broken open. Yeah. And, you know, you and I pulled the warrior card this morning, Mm -hmm. you know, in our meditation before we jumped on. And I found that really interesting because it's kind of speaks of the war and the battle but it also kind of talks about, you know, and of course, it's very male language, it feels like. Mm-hmm. So, but there's also this archetypical energy that I feel very present to as it relates to how to hold myself and where to stand. It's like, because it, it did say, remember, Monette, it was like, where do you stand? Like without a a vow, the warrior is lost. And so it's getting really clear about what we stand for as the world falls apart. And you and I both, I think, have had so many incredible conversations about these times that we're in and how in so many ways we were born for this time, where as the world kind of falls apart, there are all these systems of oppression, these intersectional systems of oppression that are falling down around us as we simultaneously build. And of course, here we are in the Sophia century, and it's a time of great wisdom. And so, it's really important that we continue to look through that lens and understand what it is we're really seeing as kind of the illusion breaks down around us. Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like I've spent the past year in groups of women 
at Women's Spirit Reclamation doing courses that reveal so many of the systems that are holding us frozen and in place and unable to step into that warrior talking about patriarchy and all the forms it shows up from very personal embodied places like our bodies and how much energy we divert to controlling them. And that is energy we cannot put into our true warrior work. And it seems like in the last few months, a lot of the conversations I've had have revolved around kind of that idea of what you said, you know, what do you stand for? There are so many women who are in a faith or a identity kind of transition. Where do I stand? This is what I was taught. What part of it do I believe? What part of it do I not believe? How do I move into a centered space, a spiritual place that feels aligned with who I am now? It's mm-hmm. that whole journey and that inner inner warrior work that is just as hard and powerful as the outer work. It really is. It, and, it, and it all starts with the inner work. Mm-hmm. This is the piece that I think I come back to over and over and over again. You know, you talk all the time about our inner wisdom being really personified by Sophia, and I want you to talk more about that in a minute, but that that is the essential kind of energy for maintaining our centeredness while the world around us has gone mad and really becoming conscious about our own spiritual evolution. Absolutely. I want to kind of, and this is where the reclamation, I think, gets really interesting because each and every one of us has this very individual journey that has to be taken. And as we do, it's unraveling all of the not and all of the conditioning and all of the programming and the judging and the shaming and the, the shooting and the, it feels endless. And yet there comes a time where you just finally kind of see it. Yeah. What I've been thinking about, it's just so interesting how these archetypes come into our world at different times. We need them not into our world, but into our life when we're drawn to different ones. And I feel like I've spent the past year or so deconstructing things outside of myself and really looking critically at systems and seeing things in the realms of race and gender in new ways. It's been a very outer experience. And I have not been in the space of what I would call actively engaging that Sophia wisdom. I mean, I have in parts of that work. But it's just been a very outside of me seeing and knowing experience. And so I feel now, I think we've all had so much piled on top of us that, you know, starting the pandemic always is the starting point. And George Floyd and realizations about race, and then, you know, mass shooting after mass shooting after whatever. And today, this morning, I was, you know, checking in on my phone and it was just too much. And I was just reminded that the only way I can be a warrior in the world for any of the causes that matter to me 
is if I take time like we did before this podcast, which was such a gift to center ourselves, to center myself, that is actually like putting on my armor to go out to battle. And it is so easy when there is so much to be done in the world to skip over that and go to action mode. But it is crucial that we check in with ourselves and our spirit and take care of ourselves so that we can battle these things. Yeah, it's the centeredness that you speak of is everything, you know, everything to Mm -hmm. me because without it, I go into reaction versus response. It's like I lose myself in my despair over what Mm -hmm. I'm seeing and experiencing. And so it is, it's just those practices and tools become our greatest ally. Absolutely. I'd love for you to, you know, share with our guests what and why you founded Woman Spirit Reclamation and what it's all about. Well, the word that I use most often when describing what I'm trying to bring to women through Woman Spirit Reclamation is self sovereignty, which is being whole unto ourselves. It's a big word for me. It encompasses a lot. And I founded Woman's Spirit Reclamation because I saw a need for women to come in community, not just to learn new things. We do learn things, but I'd say most of the power in the work we do comes from women coming and speaking their truth. Every woman that shows up at a gathering and shares how patriarchy formed her as a little girl. And we are all nodding our heads and saying, oh yeah. And it might even bring up when one woman shares something, it brings up something that we had forgotten that maybe was too painful or that we didn't connect to the patriarchy. So overarchingly, it's a safe space for women to come and learn that the things they're feeling and experiencing are not something that stems from something that's wrong with them. That's what we've been taught. It is a system and it is not surprising that they are experiencing what are what they are experiencing. And then we give them tools. It's like once you see when it happens again and you've articulated what's happening, you see it and you can avoid going down the patriarchal rabbit hole. So that's That's why I founded it. I'm really intentional about the voices I bring to the platform and the work we do. My default, you know, if I'm not mindful, is to live in my head and think I can learn my way out of problems. So I'm really intentional about bringing people in to walk us through embodied liturgies and experiences, rituals. And that's another way that we integrate a new way of knowing. We can say something and articulate it. And then when you actually embody it and do a ritual and breathe into it and feel it, you know, moving through your body, it becomes a part of you. So it's a lot of embodiment to deepen the learning. 
and diverse voices. I don't, one of the things with that patriarchy created in the religious realm is this idea that there is a gatekeeper and there is a person at the top of whatever religion it is, the Pope, the Buddha, the the pastor at the front of your Southern Baptist church or, you know, whatever it is that has all the answers. And that is so, so damaging and so disempowering. So I really try to bring in different voices and always, always bring it back to, hey, here's someone sharing their embodied reality with us. You take it in and keep what works for you. So in our meter at the altar, which is like our little, you know, woman church that we have every month, I have a different leader every time and they bring their own presence and practice and way of understanding spirit to us. And then the next month, it's someone different. So there's never a guru and a leader. It's not about us telling women, hey, here's another way. Let me give you the ABCD that you can follow. It's about, hey, there's another way and it's inside of you. And you can call that voice Sophia. It's your inner wisdom. It's your deeper knowing. You can trust it. Don't be afraid of it. It doesn't matter if it doesn't align with that text sitting in the pew in front of you. Your truth trumps any truth that someone gives you from outside of yourself. What I hear you saying is so important because it's like practicing that muscle of listening to ourselves and trusting ourselves and hearing ourselves. And what else I hear you saying is it's a place of inclusivity. It's a circle where you bring in different women from different walks of life to share their knowledge, their embodied understanding in a very kind of spiritual way. And so when I say spiritual in this conversation, it's important to clarify, which is that each of us embodies or has an embodied essence. And so it's where that essence gets to belong without needing to defend or have any dogma around it. It's a place to really gather and not only learn, but unlearn. Mm. And as women hear each other, because I've, of course, had the grace of being able to sit in some of these circles and It's just so beautiful to watch what happens. It's like everybody's shared insights. There's always kind of like a teaching and then the sharing that goes on afterwards. And to hear what kind of each woman took from it is so powerful as she kind of really reflects on how that teaching applies to her own life and her own unbecoming process and it's powerful because you're right. There have been so many times where I've heard someone articulate something that I didn't even have a name for. I could mm-hmm. resonate with it, but I didn't, I hadn't quite had the name for what it was. I love that because it's true. There's this whole new way of being that's available to us when we gather in this way. Yes, yes. I was just thinking about sometimes 
the things that have the biggest impact are the simplest things. There was one time in a class that Patricia Lynn Riley, who is our lead faculty, was teaching and she was reading from one of her work. And she ended with, it is right and good that I am a woman. And someone in the class just said, oh my gosh, no one's ever said that to me. I never said that to myself. There's so many ways that the world tells us that it is not right and good that we are women, that we need to fix something, we need to behave a certain way, then you become a mother and you need to do this and you need to do this and check this box and do this too. And just, it is right and good that I am a woman. There's nothing to be fixed about that. Mm -mm. Yeah. You mentioned Patricia Lynn Riley, and of course, I've also had just the blessing of being able to sit in a class that you and she recently offered, which was really all about kind of the unbecoming <laughs> process around the story of Eve. Mm-hmm. What did you call that one? I forget again. It was Eve, our mythic mother. That's right. Eve, our mythic mother. And it was, oh my gosh, it was so satisfying. <laughs> like just by the end of that, kind of sitting in the in the unraveling of that mythology as it was told, and then kind of the building of it in a new reimagined way. It was like so powerful. And, you know, if you're listening to this and and maybe thinking like, well, you know, I didn't have a religious upbringing or, well, Eve wasn't necessarily a big archetypical figure in my life. I just want to say you'd be, I think, shocked and amazed at how much you would resonate because there's kind of this universal feel to what comes out with all of these teachings that I don't think we realize as women that we, like a tea bag, have been kind of immersed in the tea of patriarchy and don't even realize sometimes the background stories that are being told that we've internalized. Absolutely. It's way beyond religious settings. The story of Eve and the way that women were scapegoated carries into every facet of life. And just learning, there was a lot of, again, not just learning like in our head, but, you know, Monica knows we did a lot of readings as if we were Eve and introducing ourselves to our circle and saying who we really are. And when we're able to give ourselves permission to go back and look at that story from a woman's perspective, in a woman's voice, some of that seeps in and you find yourself able to, in your own reality, the next time you're being asked to step into a box that doesn't suit you, that voice comes through and you're able to articulate your own truth in your own voice. It's so good because it is, it's like getting a chance to practice and you see it modeled in each other as we're speaking it. And it's like, oh yeah, oh yeah. And it's so true because there's a way that we kind of discard this poison stew we've been kind of sitting in this stagnant story that just does not serve and Mm -hmm. bring in the flow of this 
new story told by women in a way that is, like you said, through a woman's perspective and through words of power and sovereignty and freedom and liberation. And it's like, oh, I'll have some of what she's having. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, this is a good place, too, to talk about. You mentioned that some of us don't think this applies to us for many reasons. You know, oh, I'm not religious. Oh, I don't take the Bible literally, or I don't even read the Bible. But one of the things I did, and this is really interesting because this is looking back for me a decade ago, when I was writing Sophia Rising, which is a book that at the time I was very much in a, um, I would say like a bridge-like place where I was still in Christianity and I was trying to make my new reality and realizations and knowings fit into that box. And I'm super persistent and I don't give up. And I, I mean, I wrote a whole book really when I read it now, trying to justify my knowing and legitimize it by making it fit into the box that I had been given. But what I was thinking about is that at the beginning of the book, I actually talk about the conversations I was having with women, you know, 10, 15 years ago, when I was into yoga, I was beginning to realize that there was a feminine divine. I was beginning to call her Sophia and I would have conversations and women would dismiss the impact of patriarchal religion by saying, oh, it it doesn't bother me. Like, I don't mind if they call God he, it doesn't mean anything to me. I'm good with it. And they would just not realize the impact of not being included ever in the language of spirit that they had grown up in, even living in this culture. If you never set foot in a church, the money you pay for says, in God we trust. That God they are talking about is a white man up in the sky in the big white robe. So what I did, because I was ever so persistent and... Which I'm so grateful for. (laughs) I just wanted to prove. I really wanted to prove and justify and show. I wanted to show women that they were affected. It matters. It matters. It does matter. Yes, absolutely. So my little persistent self sat down and I did an analysis of the Bible, the NIV, which is the most popular version just to say, look, this is how many times women are mentioned, men are mentioned. And when you're done with listening to me talk about this, then tell me it doesn't matter or you're not affected. So I was just going to share that analysis with your listeners. Please do. So when you read the Bible, mother is mentioned 312 times. Father is mentioned 1,374 times. The pronoun her is used 1,595 times, him 4,573 times, and then the piece de resistance is hers when you get to the possessive form. Hers is used 46 times in the Bible. His is used 5,386 times. So what I said 
in the book about that analysis is more than 75% of all the references to paternal roles, to parental roles, are paternal rather than maternal. In a broader context, the male pronoun him is used nearly three times as often as its female counterpart her. And in the most staggering contrast, when the concept of possession is brought into the picture, hers is used a mere 46 times in the entire Bible. And this includes forms of the word like herself, while his, the equivalent male pronoun in all its variations, is used 5,386 times. So linguistically speaking, more than 99% of the Bible's ownership is rooted in masculine language, thus in masculine imagery. For every one time we read about something being hers in the Bible, we read 117 references to his possessions, his attributes, his desires, in essence, to his story, also known as history. How much more difficult does that language make it for women to own their faith? And breathing. (laughs) Breathing. If we were Tracy J, we would be blowing bubbles. Mm-hmm. Oh, for my listeners, Tracy J <laughs> blows bubbles when she is processing difficult information and trying to just stay grounded. Yeah. Because it's so triggering. Yeah. It's so triggering. It's a- okay. And if you're not triggered, you're either super enlightened. Bless your heart. I love it. Great. Or you're in the trance a little bit or a lot. It's like the sacred text in relation to what we're dealing with now in the world. It seems like the guns are like the sacred cow that no one, you know, the NRA is protecting at all costs. And in the trance for women, the sacred text, the Bible, these things that go so deep in our roots and our families, it's really hard to touch that. And to deconstruct it, like we can deconstruct a lot of things, but for some people, that is the last thing. And there's so many invisible consequences and unintent, you know, un unrevealed impacts. I even think about the fact that what you said about masculine imagery. And the fact that women, we're so visual. Our So many of us are neurodiverse in the way that we learn. A lot of women don't learn linearly. A lot of us are visual learners, auditory learners. When you think about even just auditorily hearing his, 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 he yeah over and over and over again it is like a thousand tiny paper cuts it is and people like to think that this is old stuff and you know we don't have to deal with it now but just this week i got an email i'm still on a mailing list for a 12 step program because i did some service for them and they sent out an email letting everyone know that it was against the guidelines to change the pronouns when you read the steps. And when I was in those meetings, I always changed the pronouns because it was supposed to be the God of my understanding that I was talking about, a higher power of my understanding. 
And for an organization, and this isn't even a religious organization, but it's a hierarchical male-founded organization to send out an official email saying, you're not allowed to change the pronouns. If there was any doubt, I was not meant to be in those rooms anymore. There is no doubt now. Okay. I I, I just, Mona and I had to turn off the video portion of this because of the (laughs) bandwidth, but I swear to God, my mouth is like still hanging open. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's another reason so much of what we do at Women's Fit Reclamation is giving us new language, new resources for things we need, but that were only given us to us in a male form. So one thing we do every meet, week is meet and go through the 12 steps in a deeper wisdom form, which is connecting us to our own deeper wisdom using a female-centric, non-shaming, non-blaming gentle, loving version of steps that we have written, actually that Patricia Lynn Riley has written, we meet and use those because if we don't replace the things we're kicking out with new tools, like if I just said, well, the 12 steps you know, are patriarchal and they don't work for me. Well, that's great. But what if I need, what if I need a touchstone in the week? What if I need to a system to work through and a group of women to work through things with? So you know, we made a new one. That's what we do. That's the warrior way. I'm just going to sit over here in disbelief probably for the rest <laughs> of the day. I'm just like, <laughs> trying so hard to process what you just told me. Oh, my God. Right. But what they like to tell us is, oh, well, we don't mean gender. He means he is inclusive. But then why do you actually prohibit me from saying she? Why do you prohibit me from... Uh, conducting a mass? Why do you prohibit me from exactly sitting in boardrooms? Why do you prohibit like, it's just it's on and on and on. It's like, it's like lip service. It's very it's like representation matters. Representation matters. And this is what we're changing. And this is what we're up to. And so moving right along, Monat. <laughs> Okay. I love that you brought up a deeper wisdom because I would love for our listeners to also get a flavor of just some of the different offerings you, we had, like there's, you're, you're always bringing different faculty. So I know that you have had Devorah Gren come in and she is a Jewish priestess, Kohenet, She's just such an amazing human being with so much to offer, and she has the Lilith Institute. Mm-hmm. You've also brought in Dr. Terilyn Curry-Avery, who wrote the book Dismantling Racism. Yep. So, Monette, yeah, just, just so they can get an idea and a flavor of some, some of what you're offering and kind of what the best options are. I'd say our community membership is such an easy way to jump in and have support all month long. If you're a community member, you come to a meeting every week, should you choose to, to work through the A Deeper Wisdom steps that Patricia Lynn Riley has written. It's a kind of a support group where we might process 
actually whatever's going on. Obviously, this week we did a loving kindness meditation. We worked through the grief and the overwhelm of what was coming up, and we used the steps as our guide. We also have an author come in every single month. We've had Christina Cleveland come talk about her book, God is a Black Woman. We had Terilyn Curry last month. I'm actually going to do Sophia Rising in June for our book club. So we have a book club and it's not just a book club where we sit around and chit chat. The author comes and deepens the knowledge of what they wrote about with us. And it's always a woman and it's always a topic that is near and dear to our hearts. And we also do our sacred service, which is meet her at the altar. And, you know, I talked about, we bring in a different priestess, leader, practice, ritual, just to give you new tools and new ways of being with what you're learning, what you're learning about yourself, a connection to your own deeper wisdom, to Sophia within you. And all of that we do for $29 a month. So that is a great way. Our next deep dive course, which Monica has done several with us, is going to be on Sophia Rising. So I'm going to actually revisit a book I wrote a decade ago, which is really interesting because I know like everyone listening, we evolve and we change and we learn and our perspectives on the world differ. So it's it's really going to be interesting for me to go back through Monet from a decade ago and wrestle with how I've changed. But I think it's great because that's what I see women doing. I mean, they are moving through what they were given to what aligns with their truth. And so that's kind of what we're going to do together and bring in a lot of yoga-based embodied practices that really, I did, there's so much research in this book, the, the embodied practices, the breathing have deep roots in all religions. And I bring a lot of that into this. So there will be a lot of learning and Our next deep dive course is going to be on Sophia. And I think I'm going to call it from confusion to clarity because that is what Sophia gives us. She gives us clarity about what we truly believe, who we truly are, and how to align our spirituality and our activism in the world with our truth. Yeah, I love that because I think so many of us are looking And in fact, I just had a listener reach out the other day who said, I am so activated and I don't know what to do. So part of the work that I see you doing is helping women clarify those values in terms of what they stand for. Because honestly, there's so much. We can't choose everything because... Mm -hmm. we'd become exhausted. So it's finding your own activism, revealing your own activism and where you hold values and want to take a stand in order to make a difference. It's kind of like Mm -hmm. I can really see you really (laughs) sending warriors out into the world once they've kind of experienced some of your work inside of the inside of the membership and being exposed to the curriculum, it really, it's really serving such a need, Monette. Yeah. I think you just hit the nail on the head about that overwhelm and what is the right thing for me to do now. 
And we actually addressed that in the class, the last class you were in, when you asked the question about including other archetypes in the work we were talking about. And Patricia had such a great answer that whatever you personally are called to, your curiosity, your passion, whatever you keep circling back to and you don't know why, Mm -hmm. that is your thing to explore. And we talked about the same thing in Wisdom Circle this week about activism, like, oh my gosh, what do we do next? And it's really not a, here's the answer, let's all do this. It's you get still and quiet and go in and whatever keeps coming up, you do that, even if it doesn't make sense. Make sense is just a patriarchal word that is like, it's probably a good thing if it doesn't make sense. You do the <laughs> thing, that. right? Yeah, like, it's someone like it doesn't like, have to make sense no. in the patriarchal way. Yeah, it makes sense in my heart. Yeah. Yes, like poetry or art or whatever it is. And you're like, well, this doesn't make a difference. How do you know? Mm-hmm. Do the art, write the poem. It's going to make a difference. You just don't know how. And that's part of the mystery and the trust of trusting your Sophia your voice. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So what is, when you think about your vision for these times, like when you think about your work and where you'd like to see it going, what comes up for you? I would just like every woman to have a chance to know themselves I think you said this really well, Monica, in a post recently, like when we go back through our own lineage to our mothers and grandmothers and great-grandmothers, did they really get to know themselves? Were they just following a script? I would like every woman to be able to go off script and learn the truth about themselves and have the courage, whatever that looks like, to take that truth into the world. Oh my gosh, it, it just what it just brought up for me. Was it Tempest Williams? Was that her name who wrote When Women Were Birds? Do you remember mm, that? I do. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And that story about how her mother had saved all of the journals. The way that that story begins is that her mother was dying and she knew that her mother had all of these journals that her mother had kept her whole life. And her mother made her promise not to look at the journals until she died. And of course, she left her the journals. And Mm. when she opened the journals, they were all blank. Oh. I mean, does that not gut you? Guts me. Yeah. Guts me. And so the rest of the book. Yeah. The rest of the book is her processing not only like, why why did her mother do that? And it became so mm. obvious that her mother didn't feel she had a story to tell. Yeah. And she did not give herself permission to know herself. Mm. And it was like the blank journals were so symbolic of all of the women who never get to take the time to know themselves so deeply, to sit with Mm -hmm. themselves, to explore what's here. And so in the rest of the book, she's like, I'll be damned if this is going to be my life, not on my watch. 
Exactly. And I'll be damned if, and she wrote a book that has inspired so many women to start knowing themselves. And I want to say, because the voices in our heads will say, it's too late. You're 50, you're 60, you're 70, whatever. My mother comes to every single event Woman's Spirit Reclamation has. She will be 80 this year. She has just finished like a 15-piece goddess painting series. She is doing the cover illustration for Patricia Lynn Riley's new book on Eve. She is learning every single class, learning things about herself, sharing things about, revealing things about herself. It is never too late. So don't let that lie trip you up. Like, I don't care how old you are. My God, I love her so much. I know, I know. She is. I mean, she is right there and she is just sharing with all of us and just, you know, getting riled up with all of us and just like, exactly. oh my God, it's so good and getting so clear and inspired and I can see the energy Mm -hmm. shifting and growing Wow, it is so powerful. So yeah, you know, that other construct of like, I'm old, it's too late, please stop, Mm -hmm. please. Please stop telling yourself that story. That is just such a patriarchal story that is so meant to keep you in the trance again, to Mm -hmm. keep you from living your life, to keep you from knowing yourself because it's by design. If you don't know how powerful you are, you can't do anything. Yes. And we need to reverse what culture tells us about older women. They're useless. They are not powerful. They should go away and knit. No, that is the wise women are. Sissies are wise women. Yeah. So these women, if, if women are listening who are older, it's time to come out of the woodwork and put all of that hard one wisdom back into the world. You know, it is so beautiful to have wise women in our circles because their words, like you can just see everybody lean in when she says mm-hmm. something, you know, it's like mm-hmm. there is this wisdom that comes, it just flows out of her that is like gold. Yeah. She has lived such an incredible life and she has seen so much and tapping into her knowing now as she alchemizes all of what she has lived and now is sharing as part of her legacy as part of her wisdom Mm -hmm. to us is so important and patricia is going to do a more formal we haven't scheduled it yet but a legacy project workshop, work group course with women who are over 65 so that they are not tempted to fall into what society tells them, but to take that wisdom, to see it, recognize it, alchemize it. And how do you, how do you leave that legacy? So that's something that's coming up too, that I think is going to be super powerful. Oh, I love that. I love that yeah. she's doing that. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, what what a treat today has been, Monat. I'm so thrilled for you that you've been able to live your vision in the world in this way and have it impact so many 
women. I mean, oh my gosh, could you have imagined that you would have been doing this even a couple years ago? I could not. But you know, when you look back, anyone who's listening, look back at your life, you will see clues for what you're meant to do. Like it's not an accident. I mean, I've always loved organizing women. I've always been a little spitfire feminist from as long as I can remember. So this is perfect. I get to surfing with women and we get to deconstruct and share. Yeah, it's like dream job. It's a dream job. It's so good. Just keep going, girl. Keep going. I'm so, I'm so celebrating you in in all ways. So thank you. Thank you for being here today. Please tell our listeners where they can find out more about you and any upcoming programs as well. I know that not only did you talk about the membership, and of course, we'll put that link in the show notes, but there are also courses and certain things that I know you have upcoming that they they might want to just come and check out. Yeah. Our website is jointhereclamation.com. And we've got the Sophia course is the next big one that you can buy, whether you're a member or not. You can buy it. It's probably going to be a seven-week course, and it will help you clarify that inner voice and hear it better. So that's coming up. And that's the only other thing outside of the membership. I would say just jump into the membership. I mean, at the $29 level, it's a great way to try out the community. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah. Yay. All right. Well, for our listeners, yeah, for our listeners, I'll be sure to put those links in the show notes. I'll also include the link to Monette's book, as well as the quote that I read you from The Wild Edge of Sorrow by Francis Weller. And yeah, until next time, more to be revealed. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information, please visit us at jointherevelation.com and be sure to download our free gift, subscribe to our mailing list, or leave us a review on iTunes. We thank you for your generous listening. And as always, more to be revealed.